How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, whoever that guy was sprinting along the side of the building, um, you know, we need to show up on time for Easter Sunday. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, thanks so much for being here. My name's Danny, and uh, I, am, I, am, I am bringing all kinds of energy today for you. Um, and not because I have to, because I, I locked into something this Easter that um, kind of messed me up. And I've, I've, just, I've just really allowed myself to stay there, and so I'm quite excited about it. Um, if you're brand new, uh, I'm so excited that you're here. I recognize that on Easter, a lot of folks come, and they're not really sure about this whole faith journey thing. And I just want to say something. I want to say today, here's my, here's my thought. Most people that I sit with have some idea that there's some sort of spiritualness to life. Today, what I would ask is that whatever you okay, can kind of can kind of put in place of, uh, of inside your mind to think about spiritual things. I want you to do that today. I want you to center yourself. I want you to, to, to come before God. I want you to really, really try to engage in this, in this discussion with me today and do it in a challenging way. Do it in a way that you're like, I don't think I believe in you this, but I, but I look into the face of my child and I do know there's something, but I don't know if you figured it out. Awesome. You're perfectly the right place. So I want you to just be present with me today. Don't be distracted by anything else and challenge. Think inside your, I would call it a soul, uh, whatever it is and allow whatever to happen, happen today because that's what Easter's about. And if you're really honest, that's why you're here. You came here to check something out even if you don't know what that something is. So what I'm gonna say to you is then I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring the something. And the Holy Spirit's gonna show you, I believe, that that thing that you wrestle with, that thing that you exchange back and forth for whatever your spirituality is, it's real. It's real. And it, it matters. And it means something. Because at the end of your life, if you've ever sat with someone who's getting ready to pass, I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of clarity in that room at that moment. I believe we can live with that kind of clarity every single day. And if what I'm bringing today, what the Holy Spirit's bringing today isn't it, then you challenge that and you go out into this world and you go try to find it somewhere else. But at least give today a shot because I think it's going to impact you in an incredible way. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let me pray and then we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for every person in this room right now. I thank you for this journey that we are on together as humanity. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that you teach us, that you challenge us, that you wrestle with us, that you're not afraid of our doubts or our, our fears, our failures. You're not afraid, Lord, of, of, of the questions that we have, the doubts uh, that lead to, to angst and bitterness even towards what kind of God would even allow some of the things that have happened in my life. Lord, I ask that all of that would enter the room today, that it would flood out any other distraction, anything else that might keep us from engaging in this journey Lord, I am so thankful for the folks you've brought. I am so thankful for this message that you've broke upon my heart. And I am just so excited to be in this community with you, talking about you from all different aspects and parts of the journey. I just lift your name high above this service. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 I want to read to you the resurrection story, and one of the things that I think happens a lot when we read these stories is we don't have good context, and we don't read in full color. So we don't really slow down and ask, well, why was this person here, and why was that said? And so I want to read it to you in parts, and then kind of bring a little bit of context so this story comes alive in your, uh, within your own story. First thing we need to know is it's been three days since Jesus has died. 
the disciples had sat around a table with him and had a very lowly meal in which he said that his body would be broken, his blood would be shed, but that was what was necessary for us as broken humanity to have community with him. He had to pay the debt. He had to restore what was broken in us since the very beginning of time. And they didn't understand it, but they enjoyed the little meal. And, and then suddenly, all hell broke loose. Literally. Suddenly, Romans are there, and they took Jesus away, and they flog him, and they beat him, and they try to get him to confess to some things. And then Pilate tries to free him, but he won't go. And next thing you know, he's standing before the people, and they're screaming, crucify, crucify, crucify. And that's exactly what they did. The disciples are scattered. No one knows where each other is for a few days until slowly, one by one, they come back, just a few, to that one room. With every knock on the door, a new piece of the church is added, although broken, although shattered, and although completely uh, disconnected from reality, they sit in that room and they hover. Jesus comes down from the cross and he's placed in a tomb. And then it says, three days later, there was a woman there, and her name was Mary. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the, tomb, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She is not proclaiming at this, this, at this time he's resurrected. She's just proclaiming someone stole him. She's there early, and she's there out of this, this, the story of her brokenness that not a lot of people realize. For when Jesus met Mary Magdalene just a little while earlier, she was actually oppressed spiritually with what the Bible calls demons. She was completely tied up inside. Her story and the trauma, the things that had happened to her, kept her from functioning in a healthy way with society. Jesus meets her and he heals her. And of course, this freedom then ties her stories to his. Apparently, maybe stronger than almost anyone, anybody else's story. For that morning, she's the only one there. She sees the stone rolled away. She runs back and she finds only Peter and John who wrote the book in that upper room. She says, the body's gone. They're like, what? The body's gone. And so they come running to the tomb. Remember full color when you read this next passage, because I've always wondered why John decided to write it this way. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> why is that important if you're Peter? Like, as you read that later on, are you like, what, what the heck, man? Like... I'm, I'm not quite as, you know, where I should be. It's been a really stressful few years. Why did you have to put that in there? And he's like, that's just what happened, Peter. You know, the canon of Scripture needs to be based on truth, and you're chubby. So I just, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, right? <laughs> uh, verse 5, and stooping to look in, he, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face of cloth, cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then listen to John's verse 8. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in <laughs> and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples, those two, went back to their homes. Now verse 11 says that Mary stayed. We don't know how long she stayed, but... I have a feeling quite a while. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I just want to stop just for a second because I said earlier that everybody is on this spiritual journey. I think sometimes Jesus shows up to us in really common ways, but because we want some sort of miraculous representation of him, we miss his movement and think it's the gardener. You'll hear a child say something powerful and it impacts you, but you don't give yourself any space to understand why. You'll get a phone call or an email or a situation or see a bumper sticker or overhear a conversation. Something happens in your life, I'm guessing, every single week that is the work of Jesus Christ making himself known to you. And even if you're there grieving the loss of your misconnection, you could miss the small and the simple and the easy things that Jesus is doing to make himself present in your story. Finally, verse 16, Jesus says her name. He says, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So she goes back to the room. She announces that Jesus is risen now. The body's not just gone. Jesus is restored. He's new. And he told me to send you this message. You can imagine the room and the vibe in the room. For I don't think it was one of incredible celebration just yet. I think they were excited, but they were kind of confused. Because Mary was, well, like a fan. I mean, she had been there since early this morning. She was like everywhere Jesus' dead body went, there was Mary. So maybe Mary was seeing things because Mary really wanted to see things. And so for the rest of the day, slowly, I think word got around and people started showing up that maybe Jesus was risen, but I don't know if they really believed yet. And Mary is now preaching to the church. She's the only preacher in the church at the time. (laughs) The only one. She's the only one with a pulpit saying, God is coming for you. And they're like, you don't understand. We are lost. We are broken. See, here's why I, what broke over my heart this Easter season. I get to lead Easter services. It's a huge privilege. But usually what I do in Easter is I lead an Easter celebration when really I think based on Scripture, what I'm supposed to do is lead an Easter experience, a resurrected Easter experience where we don't just celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead, but we actually put ourselves in that room, in that place where we're lost and we're broken and we're withered and we have no connection to anything that's going to bring hope to our lives except him. See, if you go to that room right now and you listen to me like they listen to Mary and you listen to this wide-eyed person telling you he is alive, it still doesn't impact you the same way it would if you allow yourself to sit in that space and to really be present in that space. Even those who've been Christians for years, be present in the space those disciples were in. Everything they knew was gone. The church who first turned on Christ, now turned on them. The other followers had all fled. And most of their friends and family by this time were even too afraid to associate. They were broken. Their stories were spilled out for everyone to see. And they were being hunted. 
This is a low and broken place. And yet even this is critical to experiencing the resurrection story. See, Jesus had already been setting this all up for us. It's in an earlier passage. It says, Jesus got invited to the house of a rich man, and they had a feast. And they set Jesus at an incredible place of honor at the table. And then the man who invited him sat next to him. And then people, according to their worth and importance, sat all around the table. Jesus sits at this table, probably not having experienced food like this for a very long time. Because although he was an up-and-coming rabbi, he was still somewhat provocative. This man takes a risk. Says, I'm bringing Jesus in. People are like, Jesus? The miracle worker? Slash maybe sorcerer? Yeah, you're having maybe a sorcerer for dinner? I'm there. All those kinds of people show up. Jesus has dinner with these people. And Jesus, who loves party talk, decides that he's going to make an example of this room. And so he begins to discipline the room according to what he sees in the room. He says to the man who invited him, hey, when you invite people to dinner, don't invite people who will return the favor, for that's not true invitation. Invite the poor and the sick and the needy. That's, that's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> then he looks outside and he says a sick man for wherever Jesus went, sick people came and he calls in the sick man to the feast. Now, I'll be honest. I don't even like shaking people's hands after they cough into them. You bring a really sick guy into, into a, a feast, it's going to change the room a little bit. Jesus then heals that sick man right there in the room. Then he goes on to teach many other lessons. But the best thing he eventually does, I believe, is lean forward. And once everybody's just about appropriately offended, the context is fairly well set. Jesus then tells them an illustration. It's in Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to start with verse 16. This is what he says. He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Notice he didn't even ask if he should be excused. <laughs> because his wife already said, you're not going. <laughs> Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. See, full color reading. You got to read into that stuff. Then the master of the house became angry. This is still Jesus talking. And said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The servant did this. He comes back, verse 22, and then the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, for I tell you, none of those men that he had invited earlier will be invited to taste my banquet. See, what these leaders knew is that the people who were invited in the story, it was them. It was the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those inside the committed community, the church folk, the Jewish religious powerhouses of the day. 
But they were too busy with the church. They were too busy doing work. They were too busy moving and shaking and trying to make sure that the kingdom of God moved forward. And so they said, I can't come. I've got a business to run. I can't come. I've got a wife to take care of. I can't come. I'm doing things. I don't have time to just feast, have community. I want to be efficient. I want to be valuable. And so the servant comes back and he tells this to the master. And so the master does exactly what we know Jesus actually did. He then goes out to the uninvited. He goes out to the spiritual outcasts of Israel. The notorious sinners, the Bible says, like prostitutes and tax collectors. Still Jewish people, but Jewish people nobody wanted. He brings in all the different ones and sits them inside his community. And the servant comes back and says, Lord, it's been done, but still there is room. And so the master says, then I want you to go out, not just to the uninvited, but to the unwanted. Step outside the city limits of Judaism to the Gentiles who are out in the highways and along the hedges. Go out into the greater known world, to the ends of the earth, and proclaim that they are welcome at my feast. You see, the call of Jesus always has been fundamentally connected to being a table companion. Revelation 19.9 says, The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Jesus has been teaching that this is how he does life with us now, and it's how he will do life with us in the future. Sitting at a table, exposed and vulnerable, exactly as we are. This is exactly where those disciples were when Mary came and proclaimed, like, I'm proclaiming to you, he's alive, guys. As she challenged everything they thought that, that, that they knew about God and, and everything they thought they knew about their lives, he is alive. These are the people that the Lord wants, the uninvited and the unwanted, the hunted and the lowly. He wants people locked in rooms or better yet, locked inside themselves, afraid to be exposed, afraid to share their stories, afraid to spill out who they are and why they are and what they wrestle with. I cannot tell you how many people won't tell me straight up, I just don't know if I believe in God, till I get them in a room and I begin to have table conversation with them about what about this, what about this. And eventually, it's like they think they're going to end the friendship. They're like, you know what? I like you and everything, man, but I just don't know if I believe that. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, now we can have a conversation. See, now we can talk honestly about what it is that I believe because I believe that you who don't know exactly what you believe is exactly who Jesus came for. You who got it all figured out, that's why we're not friends. I actually had somebody who got to know me. They left our church, true story, they left our church because they got to know me. And they said, yeah, we got to know you and I just don't think I can follow somebody who like, is like you. And I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. This is the truth of our story, though. We don't want people to know us because they may leave us. And so when we finally share ourselves, often we share ourselves in this place of trying to be more than we are or trying to pretend like we have it all figured out, when in reality we do not. And so we share it as almost an exclamation of of ending the relationship, of leaving the table, of saying, well, then I'm going to leave this community and I'm going to be all alone over here because obviously once you get to know me, you're not going to want to be in community with me. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I want to know you, but I don't want to know this hyped up, polished version of you. Now, friends, I want to know the real you. 
And this is scary for people to spill their stories forward. It is scary for people to, to experience God in their lives instead of just celebrate all the good things he does for others. This is what I want you to feel. This is so badly what I want you to see. So I asked some people from our community whose stories I knew because they had been courageously sharing them along the way. I asked them to share for you today what being in this place looks like. I asked them to spill their stories open, to invite you into that upper room. When although somebody proclaims Jesus' power, you still sit alone in the back and wonder, but is he real? I hope this blesses you as much as it blessed me. Please watch. Hi, my name's Darren, and I'm gonna tell you about myself. My name is Davy Jenkins, and my story kind of starts as a little girl. One of the things I always wanted to be was a mother. My name's Gary, and my story started uh, when I was probably 14. As a teenager, I was very rebellious. I, I got lost more than a time or two. I've lost my hopelessness when I found out my son had cancer. And about eight weeks into my first pregnancy, we found out that I had lost the baby. And that just was an unreal feeling. It was everything was sunshine and rainbows, everything you hear, you know, you get pregnant, you have a baby. Pretty much, I'm 60 years old today, and pretty much from 14 till recent, I've struggled with addiction. Uh, multiple areas of... of addiction, and I, uh, I've felt my whole life that God had a purpose for me, but through the experiences through my life and the things that I've done, I thought that he washed his hands of me. Sorry. And I prayed and prayed and prayed to God and being faithful, being trustful and to the Lord is so strong, you know, he, he, he can pick up people, he can heal them, he can do amazing things, I've always been told. Well, when my son had cancer, I lost my faith and hopelessness in the, the Lord. And I, I didn't feel that he was there, he wasn't answering for me no more. I, I offered him my life, I offered him everything that he would want, you know, take, take me, Lord, take me. You know, he's a little boy. Do whatever you need to do, but I know you can. And maybe six months later, we got pregnant again. I prayed, I begged God, please just, we want this baby so badly. Please let us 
be able to have this baby. And we saw a heartbeat, and within a few days of that, um, I had had a, another miscarriage. <sighs> I spent years and years and years running and chasing something to satisfy me. And I was in a place in my life to where I was not even willing to pray because I thought I've done that so many times. Uh, I had no real friends. I wouldn't confide in anybody. I felt that if people actually got to know me, that they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And I lost my faith in him. I got mad with him, really mad with him, and I cursed him, raging in a, in a chapel, actually, at Dorian Becker's hospital. I raged at the Lord with massive hate in my heart towards him. Maybe six months after that, I got pregnant again. We did have a baby that time. Um, that was our son, Logan. And then, about a year and a half after that, we decided we wanted to have another child, grow our family a little bit more. Surely this couldn't happen again. We've had a healthy baby. So got pregnant my fourth time, told friends and family, and then had my third miscarriage. I've lived a lot of places drugs and alcohol and multiple facets of addictions and it just got worse. And at that moment, I, I fell to my knees shaking. I don't remember any of it. And I, I blacked out as nurses came and got me up in the chapel and brought me to. And then they told me what happened as I was cursing the Lord viciously and, and, and anger and mad and cursing violent names at him and calling him worthless and not worthy and not, you're not even worthy of me and you're just nothing. Got pregnant my fifth time in November. Had my fourth miscarriage. This seems like such a small thing for two people and a family who want this baby so badly. This place that you just experienced, this is a very sacred place. This is a very rarely seen place because this is a place that nobody wants to sit, nobody wants to, to be exposed that way. As a matter of fact, um, the gentleman in the baseball cap actually said, I'm worried uh, for my family. I'm worried what the church might think of me now and that my family might be embarrassed of me. And I think that's a valid fear in a community like this world offers community. And yet it's this place that Jesus calls us to when we are exposed and honest 
to him. It's this place the disciples were at. When Mary broke into the room and said, he is risen. This is where the Easter story really comes alive, where the rubber meets the road. Because it is when you are weary and without that the one who is wonderful and worthy of our worship impacts us the most. Now what's so difficult for us, a lot of us, is that we'll make excuses for all kinds of reasons, like they did in that verse, for not wanting to sit in this place, and so therefore not wanting to sit at the table. We won't recognize that the excuse is not wanting to sit at this place, but as you saw in the parable, Jesus taught it's the only way to the table, so it has to be the only real reason you don't want to go. And yet, if you were really to look at all of the excuses, they should be better off shared by people like that. A poor person would say, I can't come to a feast with Christ. I have nothing to wear. A crippled man would say, I can't get anyone to carry me. An addict would say, I'm not clean enough to show up. Someone living outside of what society calls norm would say, you wouldn't want me at that table. I don't act like you or feel like you on the inside. Therefore, you can't love me. I can't be real with you. And yet Jesus says, but it is only when you're real with me, only when you're real with me, that we can have the community I so badly want. Someone once said, it remains a startling story to those who never understand that men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their imperfect existence. But no one wants to gaze into this darkness because, frankly, I don't know if I can even handle what I find there. And yet, Jesus says, Come. He says, Come and be a part. And sure enough, there's room at the table because so few people are willing to gaze into that darkness. They want to celebrate Easter. They don't want to experience what Easter means because of the resurrection. See, the resurrection is the overcoming of death and brokenness in your life, which means for you to experience it overcoming you, you have to sit in a place of death and brokenness. Resurrection is not about great songs or being entertained or Easter eggs or candy. That's not what resurrection is about. And all of those things are great peripherals. I'm not downing any of those. But some of those things become distractions instead of the death and agonizing reality like those disciples experience, like those people experience of sitting with who you really are today and why it is you don't have community with God as you offer up all the great excuses of all your incredible accomplishments that keep you blinded to the truth of your own great need. See, when I'm doing well, I don't need you to tell me I'll be okay. When I'm doing things that other people aren't doing, then the world applauds because everybody wants a king. Because kings, especially human kings, offer back the kind of feedback we want. You'll be okay. I will be okay. Thank you, king. You're awesome. Thank you. I am awesome. And because you said that, you're awesome. Thank you. We're both so awesome. And suddenly we're distracted by our own decay-filled awesomeness. That there's no reason for us to feast. Because if you think the bad wine tastes okay, and I think the bad wine tastes okay, then hey, maybe the wine's okay. But Jesus comes and he offers more. He comes and he offers something beyond that. He offers full restoration. He offers full 
purpose. Look at 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. This is what God is offering to you. This is what you should be waking up with and going to bed to every single night. This is what Peter says. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace. How many people have got grace and just that alone? We don't even have to read the rest of the verse. Just grace and peace figured out. If you had just grace and peace for others, but for yourself as well, you could sit in this chair in peace. It's when you don't have grace for yourself that you then can't have grace for others. Do you know some of the most judgmental people I have the privilege of sitting with who judge me, this church, or the way that we do things around here are honestly, after you pull back the covers, some of the most judgment people of themselves. That's why they're so unhappy because they're peaceless. Peter says, through the Holy Spirit, you should have grace and peace multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us to his precious and very great promises through, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He says, I got a whole new person for you. All you got to do is set down the one you love so much. But, but I love him so much. I love her so much. I mean, she accepts me. I accept me. I, I don't like me, but I accept me. And I, I know all my own secrets and no one else does. And I, I don't want to expose all that. I'm busy building a family or a business. I'm doing good things. I'll be fine. Please excuse me from your relationship. And then Jesus finds these people, cold and cowering, willing to be more than they are, which isn't very much in the first place. Willing to say, this is all I got for you, God. That's where God shows up. Into that room, we now see Jesus, for verse 19. On the evening of that day, that very same day when Mary's trying to convince them, like I'm trying to convince you, on that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, look at these words, peace be with you. <laughs> what he says is, I am peace and I'm with you. Peace be with you. By the way, I talked at the beginning about all those people who kind of had themselves locked within themselves. Apparently, Jesus does fine with locked doors. He also does fine with locked hearts, in case you're wondering. That's why you're feeling that turmoil inside you right now, that, that wrestling with who you could be versus who you are. Because when Jesus shows up in the room and you're crying in the corner, screaming he's dead, or you're off playing games with your life because you don't think he's real in the first place, when he shows up and says, peace be with you, the last thing you're feeling is peaceful. These people turn to him immediately, and they begin to touch him. When he had said this, he shows them his hands and his side because they didn't believe it. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This has to be the worst, most understated verse in the whole, past, in the whole Bible. They touched his hands. Then the disciples were pretty glad when they saw God. Like, hey, cool. Where you been? No. There's not even an exclamation point at it. I, I need to write in or something, I think. Because when you read it full color, you're touching the hands of Jesus you're sitting in this lonely place without any purpose in your life, you best believe when he shows up and showers peace in his presence over you, you better believe that room lit on fire. 
Those people were bawling, collapsing into one another. They suddenly knew their life had purpose. They suddenly lost all desire to be anything else other than with Jesus. They suddenly had clarity. See, Easter is really about this this clarity bringing enlightenment. You want to search for enlightenment? It's a big thing right now with this young generation. I want to be enlightened. Enlightenment is discovering something you didn't know. This is what Easter is about. It's through the resurrection being enlightened to the truth of God that he's not interested in your show. He's interested in your stuff. He's interested in your story. He's interested in your secrets. These are the things that he wants to participate with you in. And this is why when Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you, he is offering them a place at the table and they are running because they were already so hungry and alone. I want you to see what this feels like. So I asked these folks after they shared this, if they could insert now Jesus into their story, their, his relationship with them. I want you to watch as they wrestle on camera with what that looks like, with what that means. Because it's not about a celebration anywhere in the video. It's about experiencing the resurrection of Christ in our lives. It's about being like Mary, seeing Jesus in the common, hearing him call her name and knowing he accepts her even in her doubt, even when she misses him. He accepts those disciples in that upper room. He invites them with space to the table. I want you to experience it because I'm telling you, Easter is supposed to be washed over you like this. It's supposed to be something that transforms your heart and changes your story no matter the obstacle. Please watch. I, I remember one thing that happened so fast and it was a light, a light that was brighter than any light shining as I was in this black spot on the ground shaking. I got pregnant again a month later. Nine weeks in, started having bleeding and just kind of spent my 30th birthday resigned to the fact that maybe we're just going to have one child. Um, it wasn't until I uh, couldn't hurt people anymore. <laughs> and I ended up getting confronted by some very dear people in my life and I was willing to do whatever it took to change. I seen this light and I heard these words that I've always remembered as my grandpa told them to me and, and he said these are the Lord's words and, and I heard son stand up you're gonna be okay. And my grandpa always told me that when I was young and things were problems or this. And he says, you know what? He'll, he'll pick you up, he'll set you down, and he'll say, son, you'll be okay. And so we went to the, the doctor to have an ultrasound just to confirm, yes, um, that's been another miscarriage. And that time there was, there was still a heartbeat. And that that's our miracle baby because that was when we got a yes we had a yes answer um and so our daughter gracelyn she was our yes baby it's it's not perfect 
uh, life is life and there's struggles and there's trials and life is still life. But the burden that's lifted off of me and the guilt and the shame that I've lived with for 40 some years of my life, uh, it, it's been removed. Well, it's getting better. It's getting a whole lot better. And from that day, my son didn't get better. He did die of cancer. But there was something that came alive in me. And, and I could tell you a lot of things that came alive in me, but the, but the most amazingest thing that happened was I know he restored my heart that day. And no matter what in life is going to happen, I've, I've gone through the toughest things in life and now I've conquered them. And the only way to teach it to others is to be open and tell people your story, talk to people, be a family. So her name was Graceland because it's God's generous grace. It just kind of reminded us that even when you're at your lowest, you can still just try to hold on. And um, you know, there's only one reason for that. Um, people who care about you and God's love. And um, there's a song that I heard in worship, and I don't know exactly how it goes, but it's like when he calls my name. I want to stand and have him proud of me. So that keeps me going. He knows my name. 
sing it with me. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. Sing it again. Oh yes, for He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and He hears me when I call. Sing it again, for He knows. this part of the message exactly how I'm supposed to transition into asking if you want to come to the table I don't know your stories but I know the Holy Spirit who's prompting you and inviting you and wrestling with you right now wants me to tell you there is room here there is room for those who have never accepted Christ who have to step out in faith to meet an unknown God in an unknown place because they've never even been that authentic with their need for Him. I know there is peace beyond your understanding. There is a feeling that you can experience. Not living by the rules of this life, but living by the one who created this world and brought life. And so I just want to ask as lovingly and gently as I can on behalf of the greatest servant who ever came, who died on a cross and was rose, raised from the dead three days later, on behalf of our Messiah and our Lord, won't you come? Won't you be a part? Won't you finally have forever community? Won't you live out this truth in your life? Give up what you thought and accept the reality of a God who loves you enough to die for you. So if I can have everyone's head bowed and all eyes closed, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, would you just pray this prayer in your heart quietly to yourself, just say, God, it is me. I'm finally here. I want to be part of your story. I want to sit in community with you. I recognize your son died on a cross, that he was raised from the dead, that his body was broken and his blood was shed for me, that he has offered wholeness today. And Lord, I ask through the forgiveness of my brokenness for that wholeness. Please come into my life. Make me new. Restore me. Accept me just as I am. 
with all heads still bowed, there's other people in this room, and you know what it's like to live in this community with the Lord, but you haven't experienced it in a long time. You've been celebrating being a Christian. You like to talk about it. You like to preach it. You like to use it as a tool and maybe even a crutch when you're struggling. But you haven't really experienced the gospel's transformation in a very long time. So I'm going to ask that you receive from me right now a great welcome back. A huge, we've been waiting. It's time for you to re-engage your faith. It's time for you to remember what it's like to sit at the Father's table. And yes, you have things that are embarrassing. You have stuff in your life that you know is missing and incomplete, but God accepts all those things. As a matter of fact, that's why he's speaking to you right now. That's why he is stirring your heart and bringing to your mind things he wants to walk through with you. And you don't even have to know how. You just have to accept that he's there and that he's present, and you have to be willing And so will you pray this prayer with me? God, I have missed you. I want to be the person you've called and asked me to be. I want to be restored, Lord. I want to live this life that's different, that's whole, and that's true. And so I thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for this story. We just lift it all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Can we just welcome all those people who accepted Christ as their Savior? All those people who are now back in community with Him. You know, we talk about experiencing, but it is out of experiencing that we do get to and should celebrate the transformation of Jesus in our life. And so I'm just going to ask right now that you as a church, that you receive that celebration, that you receive the excitement of your story, that we worship God just as he is, just how he is, and that we proclaim him worthy as his death on the cross proclaimed us worth it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's just praise his holy name. Let's just lift our voices and lift our songs and celebrate our Savior. You thought I was worth saving So you came and changed my life So you clean me up inside You thought I was too tough So you sacrificed your life So I could be free